and let's pray for the things that are uh, deep in our hearts that you know and the Lord knows, uh, but also the things that we're going to explain right now in a moment. Uh, we want to lift up for sure the body of Christ throughout the world, the persecuted church. It's in our hearts every single day, every single week. We pray for them. Uh, we also pray for the marriages in our fellowship, but uh, throughout the body of Christ that God would uh, strengthen the marriages, that both will become submitted and humbly uh, submitted unto the Lord. And um, we prayed also for those who, uh, who are struggling today, who maybe have a broken heart today, maybe those who have a contrite spirit. Uh, blessed are you if that happens to you, because those are the ones the Lord wants. That's what he desires, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And you may say, well, why do not feel so good? <laughs> because the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and he's near to you today. And uh, we're going to pray for you. And uh, we also want to pray for uh, our VBS, our uh, Vacation Bible School, and uh, for the offerings that we received today from you guys um, to the Lord. And uh, we want to um, pray that those offerings find their way to missionaries, to Bibles, to those who are serving the Lord, and uh, so God's kingdom and the gospel could keep going forward. So let's pray. Father, in your name, I thank you, Lord, for... Uh, every single blessing that you give us, Lord, and every single person here, Lord, is a blessing. It's, a, it's someone you have called, Lord, to be here, to listen and to learn, not from man. Uh, perhaps it's coming through a man today, Lord God, but it's, it's from you, your word. It's, it's effective. It's, it's, it's good. It's real. It's truth, Lord. It's, it's what changes us. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for that and, and ask you, Lord God, that you be with us, our brothers and sisters who are uh, suffering, Lord, tremendously in the world today. Lord, you are near to those who have a broken heart and those who are suffering, Lord God. You take great, uh, Lord, care of your people. Even in the midst of evil, Lord, you deliver them from evil. Uh, Lord, sometimes it's, it's from evil and, and preserve them in this world. Sometimes, Lord, uh, you preserve them from evil and they go home to be with you. And uh, both of them are still preserved from evil. They cannot be touched anymore. So, Lord, we thank you uh, and that you're with those believers that are strong, Lord, that are suffering, yet are committed to the gospel, even unto death. Uh, Lord, be with those in Africa and Syria. Be those in Egypt, Lord God. Be with those, Lord, in, uh, who are being affected by Boko Haram, Lord, being those who are, are being, uh, uh, Lord, afflicted by ISIS, Lord, throughout the area of Iraq. Uh, Lord, be with the believers there today, Lord God, and strengthen them, and they would be a great bold witnesses, Lord, that even ISIS, Lord, will come to know Christ Jesus, our Lord. Uh, Father, we pray for, uh, Lord, our body here specifically for the marriages, Lord, that may be struggling, may have some differences of opinion, Lord, who uh, we may see as minor, Lord God, but the enemy maximizes them and exploits them to the point where, where we don't even want to be around each other, Lord. I pray, Lord, that that will come to an end today. There would be humility, love, and there would be a constant, Lord, desire, Lord, to, uh, for one another, Lord, a husband and wife, being together, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, for uh, that the enemy will not have a way in in those marriages. It will be rock solid, Lord. And for our VBS, Lord God, that is, is talking about rock solid, Lord, we want to be rock solid from our children to our older ones, to our marriages. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we ask you that you change us, mold us. And, Lord, we will not fall into the temptation of just be your hearers only, but we will be doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated, please, and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 6. Uh, and this is a message that uh, I pray that um, uh, it blesses you uh, as, as much as it's blessed me, that um, we would talk about prayer and the choosing of the 12 and the types of people that came to Jesus on that day. And we're going to be going into the book of Mark as well. We're going to go into the book of Mark because Luke, chapter 6, gives you a portion of the, of the story. Uh, Mark chapter 3 gives us uh, more uh, application to what Jesus was going through at the time. And so in Luke chapter 6, uh, it's a very brief passage. According to Luke, and Mark is a, it's a, it's a broader passage. So in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, we're going to look at the choosing of the 12. Then we're going to jump over to Mark chapter 3 and explain the day that Jesus endured at the time. Because uh, the day that Jesus had was a very packed, full of events. 
in a very difficult time for Jesus because there were so many things coming his way, and yet we end up with this awesome declaration that Jesus wants you and I to be part of his family, that Jesus wants you to be close to him. Communion with him is what the Lord's desire was, and it's exemplified with the 12 because that's what he wanted. He wanted the 12, and it simply says to be with him. It's so simple, right? He, why did he want the 12? So he can be with him, uh, so he can be with them, so they can be with him. Communion, fellowship is what Jesus desires and what he desires from you and from me as well. In verse 12 of Luke 6, it says, During those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent all night in prayer to God. And when daylight came, he summoned his disciples, and he chose 12 of them. He also named them apostles. Simon, who was also named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called a zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, uh, who became a traitor. After coming down with them, he stood in a level place on a large crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people came from Judea, Jerusalem, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him to hear him and to be healed of all the diseases and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out of him and healing them all. Very, very amazing passage. Now let's turn to Mark chapter 3, just a, a book over, one book over, Mark chapter 3. It's the shortest ones of the Gospels, Mark chapter 3. And we're going to read verse 7. We're going to read verse 7 of Mark chapter 3. This is again explaining in greater detail, the kind of day Jesus endured uh, on this particular occasion. It says in verse 7, Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude followed him from Galilee uh, and Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, around Tyre, and around Sidon. The great multitude came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so the crowd would not crush him. So when he had healed many, all those who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, those possessed fell down before him, and they cried out, You are the Son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Then he went out to a mountain. This is the part where Luke says he spent all night in prayer. Mark doesn't tell us that, but we know that he did in Luke 6. He summoned those whom he wanted, and, he came, and they came to him, and he also appointed 12. He also named them the apostles to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon. He gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. He gave them the, the name uh, Bonerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Then when he, went to the crowd, uh, when he went home, the crowd gathered again, so they went out, so not even, they were able to eat. And when his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, he's out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, uh, he has Beelzebub in him, and he drives out demons by the prince of demons. And he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan casts out Satan or rebels against himself, he is divided. And he cannot stand, but he is finished. On the other hand, no one can enter a strong man's house and rob his possession unless he first ties up the strong man, and then he'll rob his house. I assure you, people will be forgiven of all sins and whatever blasphemies they, will, they may blaspheme, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has never, uh, never has forgiveness, but is guilty unto eternal sin or the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. When his mother and his brothers came, they're standing outside, they send out word to him and they called to him. And a crowd was, was sitting around them, and they told them, Look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are asking for you. He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who were sitting around in a circle around them, said, 
Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. There's a very powerful passage here. And what Jesus ends up with is telling us about what he desires, his relationship. So um, Jesus spends his time, and you see the, 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 the complexity of his day. He had gone to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the scribes were um, arguing with him about the Sabbath, about the paralytic man, about forgiveness. People came because Jesus fed them. People came because Jesus did miracles. People came because Jesus uh, was a healer. But very few people came when Jesus began to, ta- uh, to teach. And when he taught and he said something that people didn't like, they exit that door, right out the door, right out the window, and they said, uh, we like when you fed us, you like when you healed us, but commitment, following, what? A cross? They had enough of that. And they said, it's better to go back to our normal lives than to commit to someone like you. And as harsh as that may sound, this is exactly what they did. Look at John chapter 6. Look at verse 66. This is the way the verses worked out. John 6:66. It says, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This is right after he had given them the bread of life. He had given them to eat. And now he's talking about that they were to follow him, that this was not about the, just the bread. You were going to, look, if you're going to eat bread, tomorrow you're going to digest it, and it's going to go right out of the sewer. It's not going to last. You need the bread of life. You need to follow me. This is what I'm giving you, life. Not physical life, but eternal life. All mankind, no matter who they are and what they believe, will live eternally. That's a fact. It's where you will spend eternity. And so when the Bible talks about eternal life, it's an eternal life with the Lord, an eternal life in the presence of Jesus. The opposite is that, yes, mankind will live eternally, but they will desperately lost. They'll be tormented in a place that that was made for Satan and his angels. It was called hell. It's called hell. It's not made for man. It was made for Satan and his angels. But if mankind chooses in that direction, then it matters not that they have eternal life because eternal life in the Bible has to do with the Lord. Everybody will live eternally. Everybody here will live eternally. Do you know that? Everybody here will go on forever. There's no soul sleep. There's no such thing as that. It will be an eternal life. The question is where? Well, the, Jesus was giving them the bread of life. Says, Look, you need the bread. You want to live with me. You want to come with me. Um, commitment? Following you? Mm. From that point on, they refused to follow him. Even his disciples were questioning, and Jesus turned to them and says, are you also going to leave? And now now it says disciples. Now, uh, take a look at this. At some point, Jesus had as many as as 500 people that followed him, maybe more. But we know from Corinthians that he appeared to them 500 at one time. After his resurrection, he appeared to them 500 at a time. We know he had 70. We know he had 12. But we know he had more than that, at least 500 that were committed followers. But in here, in this passage in John, it says many just turned back. They said, forget it. We don't want anything to do with this. I may come and see a miracle. That's cool. I may come and see somebody get healed. That's cool too. But me, commitment, and following Jesus is a little too much, they would say, to commit at this time. And they refuse to follow him. Now, if you go back to Mark, in chapter 3, we're told that the sick people began to see. And so the first people that come to see are those who are sick. And it says there that they came from everywhere. And they were about to crush Jesus. He got in a boat. And they were pressing about him to touch him. He was a healer. Yes, he was. But people just came for what he was doing. If people just wanted to come for what he was doing, not for what he was teaching. And so Jesus' main ministry was the Word of God, to teach the Word of God, to teach people how to go from this place unto eternal life with the Lord. Yet people were just concentrating on the physical. I just want to get healed. And the question many times I've been asked is, is physical resource or is this physical thing the greatest need of, of humanity? Is physical things the greatest need for humanity? Well, there are people today that would say, absolutely, we need to get everybody fed. And everybody in the world needs to have a piece of bread and a Coke or a piece of bread, if you like Pepsi, a piece of bread or something to drink. Everybody needs to have that. And I would say, you know what? It's nice to have that. And it's a great possibility that it could happen. But you know what? 
I oftentimes discuss this with my friends that are uh, a lot of times are atheists, a lot of times are humanists. And they say, well, see, it's God's fault that we don't have enough food on the earth. Uh, and, and we have starving children in all parts of the world. It's God's fault. It's Christian's fault. It's Christianity's fault. It's your fault. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. Um, first of all, the Bible says this is a fallen world. Uh, this is a sick, fallen world. It's, uh, it was created to be good. It was created in a perfect environment. Man was created to be good, but we're fallen. And therefore, the, out, the outpour of what we see today is because uh, this, this world is actually Satan's world. It's actually under the domain and power of Satan. Well, they don't believe in Satan. Uh, I, I'm surprised even some churches don't believe in Satan either. I said, well, the reality is, Paul said, this world belongs to the wicked one. And this world will continue. Why do you see so much atrocities? Why do you see uh, people today in Iraq playing soccer balls with people's heads that they have been decapitated? Why, why do you see that? Is, is it that God's fault? Is that, uh, well, that's just humanity, man. It's, yeah, that's the problem. Humanity has become so depraved. That's the goal. That's the goal of destruction. And Satan loves it. That's the reality of it. But don't blame God if people are starving in Africa. Did you know the UN puts out a report? You can look this up on your own. The UN, the United Nations, puts out a report every year that there's enough food in the world to feed everybody. Every year, they put it out, there's enough food in the world to feed everybody. So the question is, why are people starving? Well, it has to do with the second reason that we live in a fallen world. Humanity has fallen. Humanity is... Um, will do sinful things to themselves and to others. That's the, that's the point. There are governments of the world who stockpile food, and they never share it with those who need it, but they just pocket it or sell it for their own aggrandizement, for their own wealth. And you see the aristocracy in some countries are great. They have plenty. They have incredible amount of resources. And yet the very poor that this money or this food was given for absolutely have zero. A lot of communist countries, a lot of socialist countries, a lot of uh, countries in Africa who received tons of aid never see one penny of it. Why? They pocket the rest of it. And we keep going and we keep putting out. And God says, I'm giving you food. I mean, every year, every month, every day, there's enough food to feed people in the world, but it does not happen. So don't blame God. Don't blame Christians about this. But yet, some people say the greatest need is physical need. The greatest need is not physical need. In America, the greatest need is not physical need. There's plenty to eat. Uh, there's plenty of food. And we just had Fourth of July. We're going to have food right after this. I don't complain about food because there's people in the world that don't have any. Don't ever complain about food. Don't complain about dirty dishes either. Praise God for dirty dishes. Why'd you say that, Pastor? Because we ate. Because we ate. Praise the Lord. So next time, teenagers, you guys complain about dirty dishes. Huh? Some people don't have dishes. Some people don't have anything to eat. They just desire something to eat. We have it. The greatest need is not physical. Everyone here is clothed, praise the Lord. Everyone here got here somewhere, somehow, some, some way, somehow. The greatest need this country has is repentance and forgiveness. Repentance to the Lord, forgiveness from Jesus Christ. That's the greatest need of the world, but it's especially in America. The greatest, you don't, don't throw more, I would say, don't throw more money, don't throw anything else out. There's enough out there. It's just been, you know, greediness and, and, and stuff doesn't get to the right people. But the greatest need that this country has is it's a spiritual need. It's a spiritual change, a spiritual repentance. That only comes through Jesus Christ. Only come through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only one who could offer forgiveness. Who are you going to ask for forgiveness? It has to come through the Lord. And so Jesus knows this, and he says, the greatest need is not physical. You may be sick today, but you know what? Your greatest need is not physical. Now, Pastor, you can sin because you don't have a disease. I said, well, what happened if, if, if you got healed from the disease and you still lost eternity? What does what the physical you know, healing have to do with it? Nothing. It, it devalues you nothing beyond the grave. But if you have eternal life, if you come to Christ Jesus and your greatest need is spiritual, spiritual change, a new birth, then a healing, you get it, whether you get it or not, it's irrelevant because you're going to be healed right after you enter eternity. You're going to get it. See the point? You're going to get one anyway. Oh, pastor, I'm so sick. You know what? Yes, I'm sick too. I'm so sick of this world. I just want to go with the Lord. But as long as we're in this world, we're going to continue to live for the Lord. We're going to continue to be with, uh, proclaim his name so people can know him. But the greatest need that Jesus saw was not those who were sick. They came to him, but they only came to him because they wanted something. 
They didn't come to hear, they just wanted something. Look at the second type of people that comes is those who are demonically possessed. Look what it says in verse 10. Since he had healed many and all of the diseases were pressing toward him, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, those who were possessed fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. He would strongly warn them not to make him known. Now this is the second uh, type of people, those who were demonically possessed. It's interesting. Um, I wasn't a Christian all my life. Uh, I used to believe this. I used to believe in the uh, anti-supernaturalists, rationalists. That's what I consider myself. And uh, I consider the demonic possession was mental illness. How many guys? How many guys believe that before? No, just me. Just me. I was a word. I was lost. Um, I used to believe that when the Bible talked about demon possession, it was mental illness. It was, uh, you know, the Bible made it up. They didn't know back then that they had all these mental illness. And even atheists today, even humanists today, say, oh, the Bible, what's a big deal? Come on, these people had mental problems. They just got healed from it somehow. And, uh, but the reality of it is that these people were a different kind of people. They were not just sick. They were demonically possessed to the point where it was the demon that was pushing them to come to Jesus. To what, for, what, for what reason? They knew, the demons knew who Jesus, who he was, who he really is. And they came to him and they said, you are the son of God. Now, Jesus told them, be quiet. Don't say that. They said, why, Jesus? <laughs> Number one, Jesus does not need demons to be his uh, PR people. He does not need uh, demons to be the proclamation of his name. He does not want to be associated with that. Why? Because demons know the truth. That is the reality. They know he is the son of God. What does Jesus want? He wants that to come from people. He wants that very same faith and statement to come from people. You are the son of God. Remember in Matthew, the greatest proclamation, Peter up in the mountain with the Lord, Jesus says to them, who does people say that I am? Who, who do people say that? Oh, you're Jeremiah, you're the prophet, you're this guy. Okay, fine. Who do you say that I am? Now it's personal. He's talking to the 12. Now he's talking to individuals now. Who do you say that I am? And by revelation, Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Bingo, Peter, you did not get that revealed through your flesh. It was revealed to you by the Father, and that's what God wants. That revelation that we know that this is the Messiah, and we come to faith in him, and we come to know him, and that, Jesus says, I will build my church upon me, the rock, on that statement itself. I will build my church in the gates of Hades. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so he builds his church, but it was the statement, you are the son of God. That the demons know. That you don't have to explain it to demons. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to have some kind of show or freak show here, but if a demon was here and you ask them, who is Jesus? Without a doubt, they would say, he is the son of God. Why? Because it's true. They know it. They absolutely know it. Every time you see a demonic apparition or a demonic possessed person in the in the scriptures it's always claiming that he's the son of god that's fine but who does jesus want that statement to come from more than anything else it's from us it's from you it's from those who are lost because that's the way of salvation you are the son of god and so there's this great tension among uh, upon jesus at this time I'll tell you a real story. I didn't believe in demonic uh, activity before I got saved. Once I got saved, it was real. I don't seek after these things. They happen. I was called, uh, uh, I was um, young in the ministry. I had older pastors that were, were helping in, in, in a church, and uh, we got a call that there was this, this young man who uh, has threatened to kill his mom several times, and he was almost successful, and uh, his mom was convinced that he was demonically possessed. And um, we went out, and they called me, and they said, hey, would you like to go? I said, I'll go. Uh, are you walking with the Lord? Yes. Okay, let's go. All right. We went. And, um, um, you know, you watch Hollywood movies, and uh, that's one thing. Um, when it's real, it's a totally other thing. You know, I, I, I don't want to have a camera because it would, you, know, you probably wouldn't believe it anyway. But uh, the, the, the activity of this, this young boy who was involved in the occult was, was very tremendous. He had tried to kill his mom. His mom uh, was an ex-nun who became a believer had children, had, had this young boy, and she was a wonderful believer, strong believer, 
but uh, this, this boy had turned away and uh, become demonically possessed to the point that he become violent unto uh, killing her. We prayed and we prayed and, and we asked the Lord to re- re- release the demon from this man, this, this young boy. He was a little older. And uh, it's true, all the stuff that you hear about, is that true? Well, I didn't see any head spinning or anything like that. But the reality was this was an incredible demonic activity within this young man. Uh, incredible strength, incredible uh, desire to kill his mom. Um, different voices and things like that, and you know that you're dealing with something that is beyond the natural world. Um, Praise the Lord. After many hours of prayer, uh, the Lord was faithful. The Lord was able to deliver this this young boy. The demon came out. Uh, We don't know exactly what happened after that in terms of where the demon went, but we know that he was restored to his family, and it was very real. It was very true. Uh, I saw it. These hands prayed with this man, and and uh, we prayed for him afterward to accept Jesus. And uh, as far as I know, he's still walking with the Lord, very faithful. And uh, um, he must be in his probably late 20s by now, uh, probably early 30s by now. So it's, it's an amazing story. But um, there was one story that I read that it was really fascinating. It, it occurred in Switzerland. It was a pastor who was called to go to this farm. And in this farm, they had this young boy who had been um, demonically possessed, a family of Christians, but this one boy, demonically possessed, he came, and the pastor began to pray for him, and all these voices started coming out of him, and, and finally the demon spoke to the pastor, and he said, release me unto someone else, and the pastor said, no, we're not going to release you, you need to go where Jesus wants you to go, we're, you're going to be released where Jesus releases you too. And uh, soon after that, the boy was, was the, the, the boy was delivered. The demon came out, but out of uh, right after that, there was an incredible, horrifying screaming and noises coming from the farm. Uh, the, they were raising pigs, and the pigs began to kill themselves. Uh, pigs became so violent against each other, they began to slaughter themselves, and uh, that's where the demon went. They began to uh, go into the, uh, into the pigs, which is uh, you know, very biblical in terms of what happened in another account in the Bible. Uh, but it's, these, are, these are real stories. It happened. And um, we see that Jesus deals with demonic activity here. And he, he releases the demons. He basically, the, the, the people are set free. And uh, he was strongly warned them not to make him known. This was not the time to reveal Jesus Christ yet. Remember, it was at the right time that he will be revealed to Israel. The, the, he did not want the demons to be part of that. He wanted mankind to recognize him as the son of God. And so uh, that statement, you are the son of God, is a very true statement that if you are not have proclaimed it, if you do not believe that, uh, God wants you to proclaim it, believe it, trust in him as the only one who can save you, the son of God. Now, let's look at the third people that came to follow Jesus, and those are his followers. Those are his followers. Uh, In verse 13, it says, he went up to the high mountain and he summoned them what he wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12. He also named the apostles to be with him to send them out to preach, to send them out to preach. Now, this is a beautiful thing. There were 12. Now, the question that we have is, why did Jesus choose 12? Why 12? And why these specific 12? Okay, these are the questions. Now, it's, it's very easy to realize this. Um, why did Jesus choose 12? Well, the 12 here has to do with the fact that Jesus called these to himself. And this, is, this applies to all of us. First of all, it says here that he called them to be apostles and to be with him. Two reasons why Jesus chooses for himself, 12. Number one, that they to be with him. They are to be with him. This is such a beautiful thing about the Lord Jesus. Remember, Jesus desires fellowship. That's really what he wants. His desire is for mankind to be with him, to be his friend, to be his family. That was the original plan of creation. God created us for that reason. But we rebelled, we sinned, we turned our back against God from Adam all the way to us, right? And now Jesus comes and he reverses it and he calls people to himself to be his friend. Look what it says. He says they called them to be with him. Jesus desire fellowship. Jesus desires fellowship from us. From me? I mean, I'm just so insignificant. Not to the Lord. He loves you. And he wants you to be with him. These 12 were chosen to be with him, but it also says he would send them out to preach. And this is the fullness of a disciple. 
This is the fullness. Check this out. This is the fullness of a disciple, uh, a disciple and discipleship. And what are we to be? Number one, we're to be with the Lord. We're to be with him in devotion and adoration. Remember Jesus says, when you go to that secret place, don't, don't worry about telling anybody where you go. But you go in prayer and you seek the Lord and the Father will reward you openly. There is a, there is a fullness of our, of our Christianity is the fact that we know Christ. But the more you spend time with them, the more you know him. And Christian, don't ever, don't ever de-emphasize that part in your life. Be with the Lord. It's simple. Spend time with the Lord. I long for the days that I had a lot of time to be with the Lord, especially in the mornings. These are pre-children, right? So now we look for times to be with the Lord because it's not as easy as it was when there were no children, when there was no so much pressure and, and, and commitments that are put on us. Not that they're bad, it's just time constraints are very difficult sometimes to deal with. And so we look for that time, but never neglect it. Never just say, well, you know, the Lord knows. Look for it. Find it. Seek after it. Want it. If you, you know, if you really want something, you really do it, right? I mean, that, that's really the reality of all humans. If you really, I mean, if you're hungry, what do you really want to get? Food. And, and then you go after it, right? You stop at a drive-thru. No, I'm so hungry, I could eat anything. I'll eat a Slim Jim if I had to. You know, people would eat anything when they're hungry and desperate. When you're desperate for the Lord, when you really want to, would you spend time with them? Would you really seek after that and go, man, I don't care if I have to get up at four. I will seek after the Lord. Or at five, maybe it's at night. Spend time with the Lord. However, the second part is that he sends them out. He sends them out. Why did he send them out? To proclaim his name. And this is the beauty of discipleship. They're both true. Be careful about half-truth, Okay. And people would say, oh, you know, just spend time with the Lord. That's really the essence of Christianity, just spending time with the Lord. And he said, oh, what's wrong with that? The other half is not talked about, that he spends time with us so he can send us out so that we can proclaim his name. And be careful of those who just say, well, just go out, man. Don't worry about devotion. Don't worry about the other part. Just go out. People need help, and you need to go out there. They're both true, but you can't separate them from each other. They're absolutely both true. Spending time with the Lord private devotion, your reading of the scripture, propels you, compels you to go. And this is what I call get the salt out of the salt shaker. If the salt remains in a salt shaker, it does absolutely no good. But you take the salt and take your favorite steak or take your favorite meal, and you add a little salt, add a little flavor to it, and now the salt becomes effective. Now the salt becomes real, useful. It is no use being in that little salt shaker. And as Christians, we're called to be salt and light. As Christians, we're called to be salt. Yes, Jesus wants us to go out of this four walls. Yes, Jesus wants us to go out of just, just the fellowship here and to go out to where it's needed. The salt needs to be in a place where it's needed. In the book of Luke, it says salt is like a fertilizer. It causes growth. And if the salt just remains here, it really does no good. I love you, but go. I do. I'll spend time with you, but you need to go. Well, pastor, he just wants them to go. Come on. I mean, this is really, I mean, pastor wants people to get out of his church. Um, in a real way, yes. Not in the way that maybe some, maybe people will take it. We need each other. No doubt about that. We need to pray for each other, be around each other. Uh, the Bible commands us to be around each other. The Bible calls us to pray for each other and to strengthen and encourage each other. By means of any means, we need to be here. But when that time comes to go out, go out. And then don't just say, well, I've done what the Lord called me to do. I fellowshiped. Yes, that is true. But is that all that he told you to do? No, he says he took the 12, called them to himself, spent time with them, then go. Salt in a salt shaker has very little use. Salt outside the salt shaker has an incredible amount of use. An incredible amount of things. So which, which one has the Lord called us to be? Both. To himself and to go to others. To himself and around each other, yes, and then to be with others. Where's the gospel most needed? I mean, here, yes, of course. People come, they need to hear the truth. But isn't it in the factories? Isn't it in the mechanic shop? Isn't it in the school? Isn't it in the office? Isn't it in wherever the Lord has given you a platform? Isn't that where it's greatly needed? Well, I can't be at those places all the time. It has to be the body of Christ. It has to be the salt going out. Now, that's the third group. 
uh, of people. But the, the question is, uh, why the 12? Why 12? I'm sorry, why 12? Uh, to the Jew, this is a sacred number. Think about it as a Jew. 12. What does that remind you? Old Testament. Oh, yes. God took a man named Abraham, gave him Isaac, gave him Jacob, his grandson. Out of Jacob, he had 12 sons, and they became the people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel. This number has to do with God's people, calling them to himself and being God's people to service. Now, Jesus picks 12. And you can kind of see if you're a Jew or have an Old Testament back, you go, is, is God doing a new thing now? Is he choosing out of his own people, the Jews, a whole new set of people that would be faithful to him? Oh, yeah. That's exactly what's going on. Out of the Jews, out of Jews, calls, he calls 12 to represent now the new people of God, Jew and Gentile together. Jew and Gentile together to become the new people of God, the body of Christ. God's doing a new thing, and he chooses 12 to begin the work, just like in the Old Testament. He chooses 12, begins the work. New Testament, he chooses 12, begins the work. Now, this work was not going to be uh, uh, through blood relation. This work's going to be through faith and repentance toward Jesus Christ, because that's the message that the 12 will proclaim. Now, the 12 are really interesting, because the 12 have a, a lot. I mean, you read the list, and you go, boy, these people, uh, they didn't like each other in many cases. Uh, in a natural way, they would not put, you would not put a zealot and a tax collector in the same group. That's like, uh, uh, that's like putting, I don't know, would you, the, 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 the hatred at that point. It's so amazing. It's, it's like putting extreme forms of political uh, ideas, you know, putting a liberal and a conservative and put them together and they hate each other. And this was exactly what Jesus had in his group. He had a, a zealot, Simon the Zealot, which was a, uh, he was extreme pro Jew, pro-Israel, that he didn't like the Romans. They, the zealots actually were like terrorists. They actually were like terrorists doing raids against the Romans. And you had a tax collector, Matthew, who was a collaborator. He actually uh, was useful to the Romans to betray their own people. And yet there were the 12. Yet they were together. The sons of thunder, their own personalities, tells you exactly who they were. 12 Men together, one of them actually betrayed Jesus, a very unique group of individuals. But Jesus called them to himself because he desired them to follow him. Jesus has called you to follow him, just like the 12. He has called you to follow him. Why? Why did he call me? He wants to. He wants to call you unto himself to spend time with you. That's the relationship aspect of it. But let's look at the third group of people that came, and that is found in verse 20. These are friends... Uh, somewhat related to family, maybe associates of him. In verse 20, he went home and the crowd gathered together and they went, uh, they were not even able to seat. When his family heard this, they sent out to restrain him because he said he's out of his mind. Oh, I love this. Um, from earlier on, his family, his friends, his close relatives, uh, now th this word can be as, uh, taken as associates, people that knew him. Could have been family, could have been really close friends came to him, and they said, he's out of his mind. The word there is the idea of he is a schizo, literally. No, pastor, you can't say that. That's what it means. He is, you know when somebody says, he's beside himself. He's be you're beside yourself. The idea is that you have a different personality. You don't know which one you are, and you have two. And, and, and they thought Jesus was, personality-wise, was two different people. He thought he was a real leader. He thought... They said, oh, you're a carpenter, but you think you're a messianic leader. Oh, no, no, we came to save you from that. Yeah, you're too radical on that. Remember, know your place, Jesus. You're just a carpenter. You're not a messianic leader. Know your place. You're out of your mind. They came to get him, to restrain him. Now, take a look at this. Jesus has started his ministry, has left his uh, carpentry work, which the word carpentry and, and, and the idea of Jesus as a carpenter has to do with Jesus as a uh, the idea of Jesus as a construction worker, that was, that's the idea. I know it takes away the romantic idea of the carpenter, but he was a builder. That's the better word translated. He was a builder. Jesus was a builder. He dealt with stuff like that, stuff like that, stuff like that. He built things. Um, he was a mason. Not a Freemason, but he was a mason. He worked on buildings. He was able to work with construction things. He left that. In that society, that would have been a really good job. That would have been a really, really good job, a middle-class job. Jesus, you don't have to worry about your 
dues or your income, you're going to have a good job. It's like, you know, people today, oh, man, I just want to seek after a union job or, or seek after this kind of work. Or this, and I'm going to be set. And people look for those things. Jesus had that. <laughs> Jesus had that. And he said, I'm going to go do my father's business. I'm going to not have a home. The father's going to provide for my food. I'm going to be around 12 people <laughs> that are going to be very difficult to deal with. And I'm going to proclaim a message that people are going to have a hard time listening to and obeying. And he left all of that future protection. You know, you'd say, man, you're set for life. He left all that. Why? It was important to preach the kingdom of God. It was his purpose to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm glad the Lord did that. Had he not done that in a philosophical way, the message would not have been proclaimed. But Jesus was not about himself. He became sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. When he went, that was his goal, was to go to the cross. He leaves all that, and people think, oh, boy, you're extreme. Huh. I mean, come on, Jesus. I mean, you, you came to, this is too much. This is too unhealthy for you. Um, you're even risking your own life to, for this commitment. Now, what does that sound like? You know, many believers throughout life, throughout history, throughout the church history have done this that they have looked at the life of Jesus and said, man, he is worthy to be followed. He's worthy to be imitated. And they go and they seek after Jesus and they leave businesses. They leave wealth. They leave uh, comfort. And they go and to become missionaries and they become followers of Christ in difficult places. For what? Why are you leaving that? Why are you doing that? Because he's worthy to follow. And the greatest treasure you can have in this life, my friend, is not the comfort of life, but it's the pleasures of God. It's the pleasure of Jesus Christ in your life. That's the greatest thing you could ever seek after. Now, whichever way it comes, we're to seek after the Lord. We're to seek after him. Jesus left everything so he can give his life for us so that we can become sons of God. And in doing this, he suffered many rejections and many criticism. Here's one of them. You're out of your mind. I don't know if you've ever been told that. If you've ever been told that you're following Jesus, you're out of your mind, you're in good company. So he said, this is about Jesus. They said that he was a schizo. He is out of his mind. What is he doing that for? And you know, when you follow Jesus Monday through Sunday, it becomes that, a criticism. You know, the world can handle you going to church on Sunday. They actually think it's not a bad thing. Hey, go to church on Sunday. Hey, see you after. Oh, yeah, go to church on Sunday. Yeah, we'll catch up tomorrow, Monday. They can handle when religion just goes on a Monday, I mean, on a Sunday thing. But when it begins to spill into other areas, when the Bible begins to become not just a Sunday thing, but a real, life-changing, personal thing, the world cannot handle it. People cannot handle it. Uh, religion cannot handle it. Why? Because now it's real. It's been said of, a, of the Prime Minister of England, he walked into a church of a preacher, and the Prime Minister of England went in, and he was furious, like that. <laughs> Why was he furious? Because he said, oh, the pastor, he was carried away. He was talking about changing of life and people need to repent and, 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 and to live for Jesus 24-7. I can't handle that, he said. And the pastor had preached, this was Charles Spurgeon, and he had preached such a message that people did, were uncomfortable because he was calling people to follow Jesus daily. And see, people can't handle that because they're comfortable with the Sunday thing. Well, okay, we'll let you have your Sunday. But man, you start talking about life, changes, morality that needs to change. And you're talking about something else. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was hitting the core of people's lives. And they were uncomfortable with it. And people did not want to have it. His own friends did not want to have it. Verse 22, next slide, concluding this very quickly. His enemies, his enemies came to him. The scribes had come from Jerusalem, and he said, he's as Beelzebub. Oh, he is, he's doing this by Beelzebub. Who is Beelzebub? Well, the Old Testament, it's, a, it's an analogy. It's a type of word that is used for Satan, the Lord of the flies. And uh, you, can, you can think about flies in, 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 um, in an analogy. Uh, flies are like demonic spirits. It's an analogy. It's just a, uh, a word that is used to represent demonic. You know, they're always around. They never leave. You can't get rid of them. 
they get into really putrid things. And that's, it was a picture of, of demonic spirits. Lord of the flies, Beelzebub. They said, Jesus has a demon. He it drives out demons by the prince of demons. And I'll go very quickly on this, but I'll explain it. He summoned them because they said this out loud. The scribes said this out loud, and they were confusing the people. And they were saying that Jesus was doing this by demonic power. He was casting demons by the prince of demons. And he corrects their irrational behavior. Look how irrational this is by the scribes. Jesus, you are casting demons by the power of Satan. Jesus says, well, how can that be? If it is, then Satan has a big problem, and he's going to collapse. Because if I'm casting demons, whom, whom demons are basically, uh, um, they have people captive. If I am releasing people and saying I'm doing this by the, by the power of, of Satan, that means Satan is actually against himself. And he's losing people, which he doesn't want to do. And his whole house is going to collapse because it's divided. Now you've got one aspect of the demonic world that wants to release people and one aspect of the demonic world who wants to keep people in bondage. How can that be? The whole thing is going to collapse. How irrational it is to think that I am doing this as Jesus. Healing people, releasing people, and saying, that's by demonic power. How irrational. But see, but they have come so irrational because of this. It's what he says next. He says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness of sin, but is guilty of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's a sin that cannot be forgiven. It's an eternal sin because you say he has an unclean spirit. Now, this is, this is what the, this generation was guilty of. The scribes have become so deluded, so brainwashed into rejecting the Lord that they had become so unaware that they were now calling evil good and good evil. They no longer had the sensitivity to respond to say, that's good, Jesus, you're doing a good thing. You're releasing people from the bondage of demonic power. They said, no, that's, that's evil. That, you're doing this by the power of the devil. You have a demon. You have the power, you have the power of Beelzebub. They had become so warped and brainwashed in their thinking by their own will they no longer can distinguish good and evil. They call evil good and good evil, like Isaiah says. But what does it have to do with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? It has to do with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because it's when people get to the point where through their own willful actions become so in bondage and brainwashed into rejecting the Lord that they now think evil is good and good is evil. Hey, man, death is life, and life is death, and darkness is light, and light is darkness. You ever heard that before? It happens. I mean, there's, there's actually religions built on that. You know, the yin and the yang, the light and darkness, darkness is light. You, no? Never heard that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that, it's all based on that. It's all based on it's irrelevant. Morality is irrelevant. It doesn't matter what you believe. Hey, some people call it good. Some people call it evil. It's the same thing. And Jesus says you can become so brainwashed that you're no longer sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Why the Holy Spirit? He's the one who convicts. Jesus said in John 14, he has come to convict the world of sin and of judgment. Okay? When I was not a believer, I didn't even believe it. It's not like I was hyper-religious. I didn't even believe this. But I can tell you that there was a conviction of truth in my conscience of what was right and what was wrong. And I knew I was wrong. <laughs> I didn't want to admit it. But it was wrong. It was a conviction that it was God, knowing the scriptures now, it was God calling out to everyone, because God has given a conscience to every person, calling out to saying, that is wrong. And it's the Holy Spirit who convicts, who convicts, who convicts, and draws us to Christ. And at some point, we surrender, and we say, okay, Lord, I'm all yours. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know I'm wrong. I need forgiveness. I turn up from my sins. I give it to you. That's, that's what God wants. But there are, in this case, the scribes, were so diluted and so brainwashed, they no longer had any, any sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, any regards to what is right and wrong, because they saw, they saw everything as one. They, they just completely lost that conviction, and they were calling evil good and good evil. And Jesus says, now you committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, because now you see me and you say, it's evil. Now you see Jesus and you say, Jesus, oh man, he is, he is wicked, evil. Oh, boy. 
Can that happen? Yeah, it could happen. Can that happen to me? Not if you ask that question. Not if you ask that question. What do you mean? Uh, it's, one of the, it's probably the second question people ask the most. The first question is, where did Cain get his wife? That's the first question people ask. The second question, did I commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Because, man, I don't want to do that. I mean, that's eternal judgment. If I'd done that, I'm lost forever. And there are many people who have been misguided and, and, and been told totally different things. Uh, I had a young man. Uh, he became a believer, praise the Lord. young man who came, and he, weeping, said, I committed the unpardonable sin. What did you do? <laughs> I slept with my girlfriend. As serious as that was, and as horrible as that was, I said, man, how do you feel about that? And he said, I feel terrible. I feel God down. And he was just weeping. I said, you want to pray and ask the Lord to forgive you? Yes. But he can't. I said, why? Because I committed the unpardonable sin. I said, no, brother, you have not. If you have, you wouldn't even care. You wouldn't even ask that question. We prayed. Became a wonderful follower of Jesus. You know, he had fallen in sin, but the Lord recovered him. The Lord lifted him up. The Lord followed, he was following the Lord from that point forward. It wasn't the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Some people have said, oh, I've done this, I've done the other. And you know what? If you ask that question, you haven't done it yet. If you're concerned about it and you're worried about it, no. Because it's when your conscience has been given completely over to no conviction, no rationale, and you're completely brainwashed and warped and evil is good and good is evil. Have I met people like that? Unfortunately, I have. Uh, according to the scripture, it looks like they're well on their way to committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that is a serious thing, my friend. Because when you're rejecting that and you become warped to the degree that now evil is good and good is evil, uh, my friend, that's, that's a dangerous place to be. But maybe today, you haven't, you're not there yet, but maybe you're on your way there. God can save you. God can call you out. God can bring you into his kingdom if you're willing to turn. Because it says, Jesus says he, um, that that will not be forgiven in this life or in the age to come. So don't, don't go in that direction. Now, in 2 Thessalonians 2, it tells us the Holy Spirit will be removed, will be set aside. God forbid that day when there's absolutely no conviction of the Holy Spirit in anywhere on earth. Can you imagine that time? That is a time that I pray the Lord spares us from, uh, but it's something that is it's, it's coming our way, and, and it's a very dangerous place to be, and we need to pray for people that are on that road and that are calling evil good and good evil. Now, verse 31 is what I wanted to get to, and I think I gave enough time to do that. Then his mother and his brothers came, standing outside. They, went, uh, they sent word to him, and they called him. Last people that came to see Jesus were his relatives. Now, a different set of people than in verse 20. These are his relatives. These are his closest kin. Uh, Jesus had brothers, and Jesus had sisters. Absolutely right. They had brothers. He had brothers. He had sisters. Half-sisters had brothers. And he was sitting around the table with other believers, his, his disciples. And they came to him and said, psh, psh, Jesus, your, your mother, your father, I mean, uh, yeah, your mother, your sister, your brothers are outside. Um, and he looked around and he said, who's my brother? Who's my sister? Who's my mother? Um, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. This is my mother. Now, Jesus was not neglecting his family, saying, psh, forget them. He was saying, he was saying something so profound. I hope we understand it. Um, they were born into the family where Jesus was born into. They were relatives. They were close relatives. Um, but Jesus was not interested in chromosomes. Jesus was interested in one bigger, more important thing, a relationship with God that he had, and he was inviting us to have through him and with him. Uh, what was that? He was not interested in chromosomes. He didn't really value the fact that you were related to him by blood. He was seeking after something greater and something deeper. Aren't you glad it wasn't by blood? I would be gone. I'm from the least of all the, I mean, people, most people didn't even know where I'm from. What part of Mexico is that? No, it's not in Mexico. <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's like remote parts of the world. If it was by blood to Jesus, forget it. I stand zero chance. But it's not by blood. It's not by chromosomes. Thank God. I look at that verse and go, thank God it's not by birth. It's by second birth. It's by being born again. He says, you are the closest to me if you do the will of God. If you're born again, you are my brothers. 
and, and speaking to the group that was there, you are my sisters, you are my brother, you are my mother. That's who are the closest to me. Jesus was not neglecting his family and saying, forget them. Because we're told in the book of Acts, oh, in, in the Gospels before that, uh, Jesus told John, take care of my mom. On the cross, he told John, John, you take care of my mom. He's going to die, but you take care of my mom. And she was an elderly woman. You take care of her. He was not neglecting his mom. He was not neglecting his family. But we know in the book of Acts, people in the upper room, people that preached the gospel were related to Jesus. James, Judas, or Jude, James and Jude, we have uh, his letters. Their letters are in our, in our Bible. Uh, they were proclaimers of the truth of God. They believed they became real brothers and real sisters of Christ at that point when they believed after the resurrection. And so the calling for us is here. Forget the chromosomal thing. Seek after the one thing Jesus wants, relationship with you, relationship with me. That's what he wants. Not by blood, not by birth, second birth that everybody could have if they were turned their eyes to the Lord and give their lives over to him. Simple. To be with him. Don't we desire to be with the Lord? Is that something in us that we say, man, I just, Jesus is so good. Why do I spend so much time away from him? What has he ever done to me that he's so neglected by me? All I have in my life is good because of Jesus. I count the things in my life that are true, valuable, important things, and I can't deny that every single one of them came because of my relationship with the Lord. Think about it. Think about it in your life. All the good things that you have in your life, isn't it because it came because of Christ and your relationship? And my wife, my children, this fellowship, you. It wasn't some random accident. It was the person of Christ who worked that all in my life. The fact that I'm born again, it's the fact that he did it. Everything that I have, and you, go, oh, you count them in the palm of your hands. Yes, because you know what? Everything else, it doesn't matter. Everything else doesn't really matter. Um, the things I have, yes, because of Christ. The most joyful, I mean, you think of the most joyous times in your life. Think about it in your life. The most joyful time in your life that you've ever had. Aren't those related to the Lord? If you love the Lord, aren't those related to Christ? The day that I got saved. Amen? Nobody here? Oh, my goodness. All right, close your Bibles. We're going to go into evangelistic mode right now. Everybody needs to be saved today. No, um, but seriously, and I'm talking to you. Okay, this is not a monastery. You can say things. You can shout out to God and say hallelujah. The day that you got saved. No, you just said it. But seriously, was that the most joyful? I mean, it's like darkness, light. Sin, forgiveness. Death, life. Sorrow, joy. And I don't even know why I'm so happy. Because it was terrible things happening at the time. But it was no more war. Internally, it was peace. Okay, that's the most joyful time, right? Think about those who are married in the Lord, right? Oh, is that amazing? I mean, we were here, and Amy, I mean, it was so wonderful, and you passed out, and it was just amazing, right? It was so awesome, you know? Long joke. She'll, she'll get me later. She'll get me later. But wasn't it? It wasn't it just like, oh, because of the Lord. What else? When your children were born, I mean, you didn't go around, man, I got another person to pay for. You know, man, you know? We might think about it now, but, you know, uh, but wasn't that when, the, oh, look at this life, just come right through the birth canal. I, I, I've been there for all my kids' birth, and it's just, it's a mess, but it is amazing, you know, it is amazing. It's like, Amen. that happens? I mean, literally? I, I thought it was, I mean, I've seen the movie, but this was like real life. It's like, all these things because of Christ Jesus. Everything that is good, worthy of good report, came through Christ Jesus. Man. And so he says, think of all those things. Isn't that amazing that the Lord gives us that? And he wants to give us more. It's not like, well, that's it. You've got three. You're done. He says he wants to give us more. Grace upon grace. Literally, the word means it's, just, it's an overflowing grace. Man. 
If you spend time with me, you'll have that peace. You'll have that joy. You'll have what you desire. I mean, what, think about today. What do you desire the most? Fill in the blank. Well, where are you going to get it? Oh, I don't know. If I look deep within myself, I may find that what I... You're not going to find it there. You're going to find it in Christ Jesus. Colossians says that all the treasures of wisdom, who doesn't want wisdom, and knowledge is found in him. Oh, man. That means it's through him and by him and for him. It's what you're going to have. It's, it's him. So he invites you and he says, look, you want eternal life? Come. I have it. You want peace? I got it. Just tell me what you want that you desire deep within your life. And I am probably what you need. <laughs> the Lord says, how much you need. You know, um, let me close your Bibles. We're done. Um, and I got to finish. I can keep talking for a while, but this is important. Um, I, I believe that as, as human beings, uh, the, the struggle that we have on this earth has to do with the fact that we know that there's a good, um, there's a goodness that we lost at some point in our lives. Um, I believe, when I, I've counseled couples, I've counseled married couples, I've counseled people that are going to get married, I've counseled non-believers and share with them um, the innate desire that, you know what, there's something good, there was something good about this world. And people seek after it. I mean, what do you think people try to, you know, do good things in this world? It's because they want this world to be a better place. Why? They understand that it's not a, a good place. And they're trying to do good. Why? Mankind and their relationship with each other, innate. Somewhere in our, in our conscience, we know that we lost something good and we're trying to get it back. We're trying to get it back. I mean, that's what, you know, we, relationships, you know, we want love, we desire marriages to be good, and, 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 and if you're not married, then you desire all kinds of other things, and you go from one relationship to the other. Why do you do that? Is it because you know that there's something that is so greater than you don't have? that somehow you think you lost it and you need to get it back? All mankind seeks after that. It, 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 it's something in us that we know that we lost something in the garden. There was something that was lost. Mankind lost something in the garden, and they're trying to get it back. But you can't go back to the garden. You can't go back to the Garden of Eden anymore. It's done. The Bible says you can have it back. You can have it all back. But you can't go back to the Garden of Eden because that's where we fell. You have to go back to another garden. It was in Gethsemane that Jesus said, Not my will, but Father, yours be done. He goes to the cross, dies for our sins, resurrects, and it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's through the cross that we can have what we innate as human beings desire so much. I mean, he, if you ask any, didn't you want love? You say, yeah, I want love. But who are you going to get it? Well, I slept with this person. I did this thing. I did this other thing. And I'm brokenhearted. Well, that wasn't love, right? No, I was abused. I was used. That wasn't love. Oh, I just want pleasure. And so I shut this up. I drank this. I did this. I snorted that. And how do you feel? Oh, I feel terrible. I don't want that. Oh. I don't know. I'm addicted, maybe. I don't want that again. You didn't get it. That what you wanted through those means, you're not going to get it. Forget it. But I can give something to you. I can offer something to you that I cannot make you take it, but I can tell you where to get it. It's so precious, you can't buy it. But he wants you to come to him, and he wants you to buy it with no gold. How can you buy it with no gold? How can you buy it with no money? Because it's free, because it's pure, because it's what you desire innately in all of us. It's to have the love of God that, that we can't get it any other way, to have the peace of God that we can't get it any other way. But it comes through this, this point here. It comes through the fact that he calls you to himself and he says, if you're born again, you are my mother, you are my father, you are my mother, you are my brother, you are my sister. He wants you to come and be part of his family. He wants you to come and belong to him. He came, God became a man so that we can become the sons of God. That's the point. And he invites you, each one, to that personal relationship. Not through chromosomes, but through the new birth, that born-again experience that we can have if we accept Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you.
for this glorious day that you give us, Lord, without holding back. You have given us your precious son, your precious spirit, your precious life, Lord, given to us and offered to us if we believe for, our, for us to receive. Oh, Lord, we thank you that this is not some religious show or some religious thing that we have to abide by, otherwise we're done. But it's simply done through the death and resurrection of Jesus, a relationship which he calls us unto himself to be part of his family and to be part of his body. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters here. I pray that you would strengthen them and they would spend time with you, Lord. They would have that intimate desire to, be, to know you and to let you be known to others. That's what a, a disciple is called to do, to spend time with you and to reach out to others and preach you, Lord. But Lord, for those who have not believed, for those who have not bowed the knee to Christ, uh, this is the message today. This was the warnings of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the warnings of not uh, being warped in our thinking, of calling good evil and evil good, but to surrender and to be invited into the part of his family that he loves for us to be his brothers, his sisters. Lord, that's, that's an amazing thing that you want us to be part of your family. Even my own family may not like me, but you invite me to become your family. Lord, how precious that is to my heart to hear that. And I pray for those who have not made that decision for Christ, how precious it was for them to hear that you love them, that you want them, and that you desire for them to be saved and not lost. So, Lord, I thank you. Today, Lord, I pray for those who are listening. And if anyone here has not received the Lord, have not received Christ Jesus as Lord, Savior, and their God of their lives, um, that they would accept you today, Lord, on the basis of your word, on the basis of your death and resurrection, that they would turn from sin and turn to life, and life everlasting. And so if there's anyone here that would like to receive that, you can simply acknowledge that. By telling the Lord, I, I believe that, I want that. Um, you can raise your hand. You can say, Lord, I receive you. I receive you into, um, in my life as Lord and Savior, and I want that. And um, that's a decision I cannot make for you. It's a decision you make on your own consciously before God on the basis of his word. So, Lord, we thank you and ask today, Lord, be with us as we celebrate this agape feast, this love feast. That's what the, the early church had, love feast. They loved each other fellowship with each other, uh, prayed for each other, and they had burdens, Lord, that, that were shared with one another. Lord, thank you for this time that we have. And we ask these things, Lord, in the precious name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.